Hey. I'm leaving that. That's it. That's our opening today. That has to be hands down the worst opening we've ever had. Thanks to my allergies and my cold. Um, hi. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Blonde Moments Podcast. I'm Gina Vogie. And I am Melinda Collins. <laughs> and I have very bad seasonal allergies and combined with a cold right now. My I'm voice so is sorry. <laughs> I just literally they say you have a frog in your throat. You literally had a frog in your throat. My voice is kind of up and down today. Sometimes it's very raspy. I've got my water next to me. Yeah. Well, sex phone operator over that there. That was not it. <laughs> I love it. So this is Blonde Moments Podcast. Yes. Happy Memorial Day. Ooh, fancy. Hopefully everyone had a nice relaxing weekend and mm-hmm. you all grilled out, but also paid tribute to all of our veterans, yes. past, present, and future. Mm-hmm. What? I like that. Well, I want to get this episode rolling with a funny little TikTok video. Oh boy. So I thought you guys would love this dumbass commercial and this is from Abigail and I damn near lost it. I feel like we need to start TikToking. Yeah? Yeah. Oh God. We should just start a joint TikTok page for the podcast and just show everyone our dance moves. The or lack thereof. Thing, the one thing that I think is stupid watching on. I did. Oh my god! I did see a really amazing dance group, or it was like a man and a woman, where they could do this like slow motion movement. Oh, I must have watched. Like, I've seen times. that. Just the girl have kind of like a really curly, beautiful afroish type hair. I think she does sometimes, but the video she has some braids and some curls. Mm, so okay. I'm sure she has pretty eyes. Mm, she's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, I was literally watching it over and over again. And my new favorite one, there's this guy, his name is Wisdom, and I follow him because of his TikTok or his reels, really. But there's this old song called Touch It, and they they change the outfit every time, like during the song. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you seen it? No. It's my favorite. I've watched it. I'll You'll even have sometimes. have to send it to me. I will. I sometimes do have when- a TikTok. I just have never posted anything. <laughs> I have it just to watch TikToks. Yeah. Okay, so- I say we start posting. We're going to do it. That's my goal. Within the next two weeks, I'm going to post my first TikTok. I like this. And you are too. I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Here is the commercial or here's the TikTok with the commercial. If anyone has any ideas uh, for Mel, what our first TikTok video should be that we post, Send them in. If you have one where you're like, oh, you guys need to do this, we need to hear about it. We sure do. Just make sure it's not too complicated of a dance, okay? <laughs> Is it pretty much us just sitting there, you know, having a glass of wine? I can do that. Yeah, I'm here for that. All right, so here is the TikTok. Um, video that lives in your head rent free, but I want to see the commercial that ruined your life. Our unique sauce containers. You have one finger at a time. Yum. Two fingers. Okay. And then, if everybody's cool with it, work up to three. No, just good. Now, I'll take what I can get. 
What is this? So basically, they're like chicken fingerish looking things that come with a dip, but the chicken fingers look like fingers, like actual fingers. Oh my god! And it's called the finger blaster. <gasps> who would, who in marketing allowed that to happen? I mean, I'm hoping it's a fake commercial that was just for the fun of it, because I wouldn't even yeah. want to eat. I mean, they're like curved looking fingers. Who in marketing was like, yes, we're marketing this and putting it out as a product named Finger Blaster. The Finger Blaster. I I need to know if this is true or not. I don't know. I mean, shit, they market weirder things for kids to eat, right? Like, Yes. mm. Okay, let's see. Oh, I said put Chicken Blaster. That's not what I wanted. I want Finger Blaster. blaster. I know there's only one thing I think about when I hear Finger Blaster, and it's not a fucking chicken nugget. Exactly. Okay, it's a fake one because it's from Inside Amy Schumer. Okay, thank goodness. <laughs> I was like, I'm having a hard time believing somebody in, would allow this to go actually as a product called Finger Blaster. Finger Blasters. So there's even like the, the picture of it. So it's supposed to look like chicken fingers. Oh, hell no. But I like how he's like, one one is good, two is good. How about three? And she's like, Two's good. Two's good. <laughs> I don't know anybody who wants to get finger blasted with more than two, honey. Three is no. The girl who lost her tampon at the water park might need three. She might. <laughs> That's just one to or get two started. is good. <laughs> one or two is good. Butthole blaster, just one is good. And just the tip of your pinky finger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, to each his own. I've never been one of those people really into butthole play. I guess balls nor butthole for me. Um, But some people really like it. Some people really say that it really will just make them come like super hard if as soon as they get something put in their butthole. Women and men? Yeah. I don't fall into that category. Butt plugs are not just for men. They're for women too. Okay. I always just assumed butt plugs were for helping your anus expand for no, sex? No, some people like the sensation of something in their butt. Like women, while they're being vaginally penetrated, they like the sensation of something in their butt too. I mean, I don't mind like a tongue on my butthole, but I don't need anything inside my butthole. I mean, same, but some people really like it. <laughs> Like, I've heard for women to start with, like, the smaller butt plugs and, like, boop, put one in there, like, when as you're about, like, ready to fucking blast. Mm, maybe I need to try this out. This is a lot for Memorial Day, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all are enjoying your families and we're talking about butt plugs. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, maybe I just don't like a finger in the butt. I don't know. To be quite frank, I've never tried a very small butt plug. Maybe I should try it before I knock it, right? That's what I'm saying. I was like, maybe I should try it. Yeah. But I feel for me, it would be something that once I got like revved up, just need to stay in there. But then I think my mind would get like the best of me. I'd be like, what if I like accidentally push this thing out? And it's like, yeah. And then there's like turd on it or something. That's a way to disrupt your sex. Yeah, and then you've totally killed the mood, you know. (laughs) Speaking of butts, I was trying to find the Tickle documentary, and I was not having much success. But there was a documentary that came up that I think I'm going to watch, and it's called Fart. 
a documentary. <laughs> I saw that too. <laughs> you know, here's a true story that I spent $3.99 of my own money renting Tickled on iTunes. For y'all. Yeah. So you, so we, so not me, so you could watch it to tell us all about it. Mm-hmm. But I saw the fart on there. Did it say what it was about? Literally farts. Like what oh. makes it so funny? So that's on my agenda. That's something I'm going to pay the money to watch. Well, maybe <laughs> I can give you my iTunes password. That way we don't spend $3.99 <laughs> each to watch Tickled okay. because I watched it. So Samantha had suggested that we watch this documentary. Now, I was not expecting this documentary to take the turns that it did. I was expecting the whole thing to be kind of more like about porn or these people start doing, you know, the tickled, competitive yeah. tickling, and then all of a sudden they're into porn and like doing yeah, porn. like you bondage know. sort of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's what I was expecting. Not at all what happened here. So apparently these younger boys, it was usually 18 to like 23, I think was the ass suggestion. And they got more of a bonus if they got redheads or Asians. To participate in these tickled movies. And I think that was just the guy behind it, like his particular fetish, you know, like whatever, which was really what what this was all boiled down to was this old perverted man's fetish, (laughs) right? It's always an old perverted man. It's always, right. Why? Why is that? (laughs) So he would pay them like thousands of dollars of cash, you know, to do this. But they're young boys and they're, you know, the money is appealing or whatever. But under like the the pretense that their full names wouldn't be used, um, it wouldn't really necessarily go out there, anything like that. So this one guy uh, was a football player and he Googled himself periodically for like stats or things like this. And all of a sudden he saw himself on this tickled video on Uh YouTube. Okay. So he emailed the producers. It was like this really vague name. It was like Brian and – I'm forgetting – Brian and Jane Media or something like that. I forget exactly what it was, but something very vague. And he was like, hey, basically didn't give you my permission. Can you take that down? Never heard anything back. So he went to YouTube and said, hey, take this down. I didn't give you permission to put this up there, so YouTube took it down. Well, as soon as YouTube took it down, Brian Jane Media, whatever it was, were like emailing this person. They're like, basically, now you fucked up. Like, I didn't Uh give you permission to do that. So then not only did they put one video of YouTube of this particular kid up, they put like 10 with his full name, his phone number, (gasps) his address, everything. Like, basically blackmailing them and this was not the only kid that this was done to okay so it basically became this thing where these kids felt trapped to continue to keep doing it and he even had some kids doing like these tickle rings in different areas there was like one in michigan one here one there so what are they actually doing they're just tickling videos but they don't want their family knowing or their friends or you know like they're ashamed that they've done these videos and you know so it's just this guy let's say the football player he's laying on a bed on the ground and or he's tied up being tickled yeah but they're they're not like naked or anything like and that. like is there 
like pee or anything no. like that involved. It's literally but they're just, just embarrassed. They don't want anybody knowing they did these things that they didn't think anyone was going to know about. Okay. They didn't think anyone was going to find out. So it was kind of like this, this guy behind it was like just this big fucking bully. Yeah. It just like bullied these kids into it and had a lot of money to do so. So, so those he videos, hired, did those videos have like a shit ton of views? Yeah. Okay. So basically, this reporter from New Zealand and another guy from New Zealand like uncovered who it is that's behind all of this because he had been arrested before previously and was actually like a teacher or a principal at some school. And of course, they fired him, let him go um, because he was going under this false name, Terry, and they found out that it was him. So then he still kept continuing to do it, but under this Brian Jane media, and he had all these people working for him. His He came from money. He had a lot of money. And I mean, he had legal teams, you know, that he claimed were like, like these people filming the documentary. Oh, they were, he was claiming to file all these lawsuits against him. But the film producers from New Zealand actually figured out who it was. They figured out that it was this guy, David D'Amato. Okay. David D'Amato. I can't can't remember exactly how it's pronounced. um, That was behind all of this. And... Then I read, I was like reading about it afterwards. The David D'Amato guy died like six months after the documentary came out. Mm. And so then it was like speculated that maybe he didn't really die, that he was just trying to say he was dead. Like just this took all kinds of twists and turns that I did not expect it was going to take. So would you say it's worth the three ninety nine dollars to watch it? I mean, maybe a dollar ninety nine. <laughs> 50% off. It's worth it. And that's what I'm saying. If I'll just give you my iTunes password, you can go ahead and give it a watch. It was, I shouldn't say that. It was interesting, but it was weird to me that this guy, this David D'Amato guy was able to, for so many years, manipulate and bully all these young boys into doing these uh, tickling videos. I'm just like, I don't really see anything wrong with like participating in that kind of video if you're getting paid and it's not like there's nudity or like I wonder what makes it so like embarrassing maybe just it looks like something that it's not you know it does look like it could be pornographic even though they do have clothes on and things like that you know like watching the tickling videos made me uncomfortable and like I was laying in bed watching these and my husband was like that sounds fucking disgusting i'm like (laughs) it is it's it's uncomfortable you know so i think even just like as somebody like me who's super open to pretty much anything it even made me uncomfortable okay watching i'll have to watch it then boys tickle each like you could tell they didn't really want to be doing it and i don't know if that's what made it so uncomfortable for sure well if yeah you know like they're literally doing this because somebody's waving thousands of dollars cash in front of their face you know it's Mm -hmm. not like i think it's different if you're doing a fetish video if it's something you want to be doing sure oh, I'm into this. I'm I'm going to do it, you know, like, and if other people are into it, they're going to watch it too. But it was very clear to me, these boys were not into it. Okay. Well then, yeah, I understand it. Then. It was uncomfortable to watch. Mm-hmm. It sounded uncomfortable. Like, yeah, it was, it was odd. Okay. And then to find out that it was just this big fucking old perverted bully that was behind all this threatening people with lawsuits that had no legitimacy 
you know, like, and these kids were so young, they didn't know. And then something they thought would be private was all of a sudden put everywhere on, you know, the internet, including personal information about them. That's too far. Yeah, that's a violation. And this Mm -hmm. guy just didn't, you know, and at the end of the documentary, um, one of the, or one of the directors, the New Zealand directors was like, to me, this wasn't just about the tickling. It was about control. It was about power. It was about money. Mm. And I think he nailed it on the head. Like that's, it was more than just the tickling. It was about the power and the control behind it. Okay. And this guy had the money, you know, to do so. Hmm. Not what I thought you were going to say at all. No, it wasn't where I was expecting it to go at all. So it was definitely interesting. And man, it's like you hope that the most disturbing part of me is that these boys got talked into doing something they didn't want to do. At such a young age. At such a young age. Yeah. yeah. You think about 18 years old. Like, yeah. So shame on David D'Amato for fucking doing this. What a piece of shit. I started watching Athlete A last night. It's on Netflix about the gymnast. And I took some z I was so tired. So I didn't watch the whole thing. But it's basically the United States Olympic, I don't want to say team, but their gym or mm-hmm. who they use to have these young girls becoming gymnasts. There was a doctor named David... David. His name was David. David. David Nassar, who was the team doctor, and he was molesting all these girls on oh. the gymnastic team. You know and what? I have heard of that. Yeah. I'm sure it, it came out probably a year or two ago. I don't know exactly, but I know people had talked about it, and it was sitting on my list forever, and then last night I just started watching it. But even seeing this guy – working on these young girls even though they don't obviously aren't showing molestation at that on these videos because he was doing like training videos so Mm -hmm. to like this is what goes on and even like watching this like older man like adjusting these young women it just grossed me out well because he was getting off on it well then he he took it worse he was actually like Fingering them, them and putting fingers up their butt and oh, stuff like disgusting. that. And I don't know if it escalated more than that. I didn't watch the full thing again because I fell asleep. But just knowing that it's – That's a violation. It's so gross to You're me. taking a position that you were put in that people have trusted you know, their children with and mm-hmm. you're violating that. And then they start talking about how when they were at the camp, parents weren't allowed to go there. And then knowing that this was happening and these women – or not, I don't even say women because they were young girls, girls, but these young girls are trusting this doctor who's supposedly the best. And then they start talking like, does this happen to you too? Oh yeah, that happens to me too. It's like, oh my God. Like, Sick. I mean, you're basically, they would talk about this doctor as he was the nice guy because he would give them candy and he would give them, because you know, like the gymnastics team, it seems like they're very you need to be the certain way. Disciplined. Yeah. Right. Disciplined. Perfect word. And he was the nice one who would be nice to them. And, and I'm like, hey, he's grooming them. And yeah. ugh, it was making me so sick. Just, yeah. That's so disgusting. Mm-hmm. Mm. So that's what I was watching. Well, that sounds interesting too. And you didn't have to pay uh, $3.99 to watch it. Nope. So. You know, that's the dedication I have here um, at Blonde Moments Podcast, <laughs> spending my hard-earned money 399 watching these documentaries. 
So my friend Tori tagged our podcast in this post, and it is perfect for us because it has a lot of things we talk about. Here is the headline. Florida man who claimed girlfriend choked to death on his penis is cleared of murder charges. No. (laughs) No. He said that his girlfriend choked to death on his penis while performing oral sex, and he was acquitted of second-degree murder charges. 65-year-old Richard Patterson was accused of strangling Francisca Marquinez, 60, and this was in 2015. He said it was a freak accident that resulted from her struggling to cope with his large member. Oh my gosh. If you're choking on a penis, the person just needs to back up, right? Yeah, or were you like holding her head down? Exactly. Because I can't imagine a woman willfully choking to death on any dick. I mean, if if you're choking to that that's gonna take a while too. It's, right. Right, yeah. It doesn't take just like ten seconds. So it says at one point in the trial, his defense team even petitioned to allow the jury to see his penis to prove his claim, but he was found not guilty before that became necessary. He says it was accidental and he never this is this is to me where it seems like mm, he never bothered to call 911 or report that she died instead her body was only discovered after he eventually contacted a defense lawyer and explained what happened nearly 48 hours later by the time investigators found her body at her condo her neck arms and face were so discolored that those performing the autopsy would never be able to find bruises even if they were present however her neck and the cartilage around it was unharmed i like, this is one I'm going to hope isn't true again. This guy, he just wants to be like, hey, so guess what? Guess how big my dick is. <laughs> <laughs> I killed a girl. The way that you said that. Like, this is one I'm really hoping is not true. The if it is true, of course it's from Florida. God darn it, Florida. You know I love you, but you make it hard. Yep. You make uh, it hard for uh, me to love you. <laughs> the not guilty verdict only took five hours of deliberation. Okay, I'm calling bullshit on this one. Well, I love that we were tagged in this because it's you know up our, our alley. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to say this is false. No man's dick is that big. Y'all big dick men, put it back in your pants and chill the fuck out right now. <laughs> no one's dick is that big where you're going to accidentally choke someone to death. <laughs> I just think if you're the person getting your dick sucked, like, okay, maybe you enjoy the fact that they're choking, but eventually, like, their face is going to start getting discolored and they're... Well, and how... I'm sorry, how is that even possible? Because when you're sucking a dick, it's not going down your windpipe, okay? It's going down your throat. And for those of us who don't have a gag reflex, I can tell you that it can be down your throat for a while before you can go up. He had to have been holding her head onto his penis. Right. Well, this is a true story. Because it's even on the New York Post. Mm -hmm. No. I cannot believe this is a true story. Yeah. We're at in Florida. Margate, Florida. I don't... She was 60? Yeah, he's 65. Well, we did discuss 70-year-old Dick. (laughs) (laughs) And he has five more years to go before it even gets to 70. But it says that a medical expert testified that choking during the sex act was unlikely. The defense reversed course on the theory and... Yeah, so this They man, said that's not the way she died, but that's the way Richard Patterson thought she died. Yep. So 
he got off twice, I guess. I hate making that joke, oh, but man. Ooh, that was dark. That was wrong. <laughs> Slap my mouth. But wow. it says if he would have been convicted, he would have faced life in prison. So I don't know. So the story is true, but I'm going to have to agree here that something else was going on that factored into her death, and it was not just his penis. Yeah, there's more to this there's story. There's more to this story. I agree he, with you. He got off in more than one way here because... I'm going to slap your mouth, too, for that. <laughs> there's no way that that's the only way that she died. There's just no way. There was something else going on here. This said, if she cannot breathe, she usually started to kick, bite, or do something to prevent this blocking of the airway. Try to open the airway is a normal reaction of any person, which it would be. Like, yeah, but how would can imagine you not she... open your airway, you know? But you would imagine, like, she would probably be, like, clawing or doing something. Doing to... something, mm-hmm. yeah. She's so not just going to be, like... something else was going on here. Mm-hmm. She's not just going to go out choking on a penis like that's not it but thank you for sending that story in to my attention tori man we're just talking about all kinds of shit today every day that's what we do are you surprised by this not one bit (laughs) so i actually have (laughs) i have another story to add on well and it is our true crime today so i feel like it is fitting that we talk about these types of stories So there was another story sent in to us by April Epperson. Hey, all. I love your podcast. I've started listening from the beginning and worked my way through the most recent episode. I wanted to send a funny story from my neck of the woods in Nashville in hopes it might provide a laugh. Thanks, April. Okay. So the story, vibrator used to subdue 3 a.m. bloody burglar who broke through the window and grabbed on to a woman's leg. 34-year-old Charles Gregory Knowles is charged with aggravated burglary after he broke through the window of a West Nashville home and grabbed the leg of a sleeping female resident. Her (laughs) screams altered another person in the room who used the nearest object he could find, a vibrator, (laughs) to subdue the burglar and keep him at bay. I love it. And you're just like smacking him over the head. Just before 3 a.m. on March 24th. 24th. March 24th. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Just before 3 a.m. on March 24th, Metro Nashville police say a disoriented Charles Gnarls, Charles Gnarls, say that three times fast. Right. Broke through the bedroom window in the nation's neighborhood of West Nashville. Her roommate's boyfriend heard the commotion, ran into the room to find the victim's leg being held by Nalls. Charles Nalls was eventually forced out of the home by the residents, jumped a fence, and landed in a neighbor's trash can. (laughs) (laughs) This guy's not having a good day. Police then arrived to find a closed trash can from which grunting sounds were emitting. Nalls remained inside the closed trash can until threatened with a taser, (laughs) at which point he emerged and complied with police commands. Man, can you imagine if this was your neighborhood? No. Guys... How many more devices is going to be are going to be used on me today? Vibrators, tasers, hiding in a fucking trash oh my can. God. He was covered in lacerations and bruises from both a shattered window and attack from the vibrator. <laughs> <laughs> he was transported to Vanderbilt then booked into the Metro Nashville jail. He's charged with aggravated burglary and remains jailed on a $25,000 bond. An idiot. Scheduled to appear in court later that week. Wow. Man, so he just, he looks beat the fuck up. Ew. This ew. 
And then this apparently was the vibrator. That It looks more like a massager. Yeah, but we all know what that's being we used for. We all know for. what that is. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah, it looks like he really got beat up. I was so. working out the other day, and I had to do this thing where you kind of put your feet together. You put your feet together. It's like a but- – like a bu- have you done on like a butterfly sit-up before? Yeah. Okay, so – but your feet were on a box and you had to do hip raises with weights in your lap, okay? If you can try to make that make sense. <laughs> yeah. I did something to the right part of my groin and we oh. have one of those med cursor. I don't know how to describe it. Like, like a, a like a but it vibrates. Like a massager gun. Yeah. It was like a gun. And I was using that kind of like in my right groin area. I'm like, well, hello there. <laughs> Like this is interesting here. Those but, things, I the, the settings would have to be turned way down for me though. Yeah, those, I I don't like it above number one for for like even yeah. any sort of soreness. But I was like, okay, well, just leave that on the nightstand. <laughs> well, you never know. You might need to assault a burglar with it. If you put that thing on the highest setting, you can hurt somebody's head. I'm sure. Like just. <laughs> Well, well be- thanks for that story, April. Yeah, uh, thank you. That's definitely right up our alley. Good to know there's crazy things happening in other places of the world besides <laughs> Florida. And Michigan. And Michigan. This was in Nashville, so. Before we go into a true crime, I just wanted to update all of you guys on the hottest summer trend for 2021. Oh, no. You want to take any guesses as to what it will be? I did hear that Hawaiian shirts are making a comeback. Nope, that's not it. Which I hope they're not making it. I hope not to. Not a fan. You ready for this? I'm ready. Long fake toenails. Oh, disgusting. <laughs> Some of these pictures. Oh, <laughs> people look like, like they acrylics have acrylics like... on toenails. <laughs> they look like they have crocodile feet. How are you supposed to wear like running shoes? You can't. You just you have to rock those sandals the whole time. Oh, no. But. I mean, that's, I'm sorry, it just looks gross to me. I don't think it looks attractive. Can you imagine what Ness would look like with acrylics on? <laughs> like the dinosaur in Jurassic Park, like the... Yeah. <laughs> and then I'd have to like make that nail shorter than the rest of my toenails to try to, otherwise like, man, that thing would be like dragging on the ground. Sure. <laughs> you'd, you'd know where I was walking by like... <laughs> You have like a tail trail behind you. <laughs> Just Ness dragging on. That acrylic nail would not last long. It would pop off real quick on Ness, that's for sure. I think you'd have to use press-on nails, though, so you can switch between the shoes. I mean, I guess. Can you, I couldn't even... You'd have to buy, like, shoes that are four sizes too big in order this to... This is one trend I <laughs> will not be on board with. I thought you were going to like it. No. It does, <laughs> there's nothing sexy or attractive about it. True. You know? It is very true. And what man is... Or woman. I don't I don't know. I, I'm not on board with this. Bring back the Hawaiian shirts, but not the fucking acrylic toenails. Hawaiian pineapple shirts. Get the party really going. Party four coming right up. Every time I think of those types of shirts, I just remember when I worked at Hooters because it was like every guy that came into those restaurants always had on those types of shirts. New Balance shoes, white socks, khaki shorts, Mm -hmm. Hawaiian shirt. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, thank you. 
y'all are typecasted right now. <laughs> we're, we're calling you out. Well, I will lead into our first true crime story here. And I still have to touch base on uh, foreign accent syndrome, which I'm going to save for next episode because I'm still delving into my research. <laughs> So <laughs> you have one of those boards on the wall where you have like the strings that are connecting everything. Yes. And, okay. Well, because I've read that there's different contributing factors. You know what? I'll just save it for next episode. Okay. Maybe by then I'll have woken up with a British accent mm. and can I can do really whole, explain. Can you do your whole true crime story with that accent? I don't know. <laughs> I'll have to work. work You're already on my... losing it. <laughs> Apparently, I need to do a better job figuring out my accent before I could do that. Okay, so my story is on Jennifer Mee, and I know we had talked uh, last week about the Hiccup Girl, mm-hmm. and this is her. Okay. This is the Hiccup Girl. You did do your homework. Mm-hmm. I am so impressed with you right now. I know. I did my homework, spent $3.99. Girl, pat yourself on the back. Okay. <laughs> All right, the hiccup girl. At the age of 15, Jennifer Mee gained worldwide fame in 2007 when she developed an uncontrollable case of the hiccups. The teenager from, let's, where do you think she's from? Kentucky. St. Petersburg, Florida. Of course. (laughs) I was, y'all, I was trying to let Florida get off on this one. And if you don't know, that's where I lived, (laughs) St. Petersburg, Florida. So how I didn't know the hiccup girl was from St. Petersburg, Florida, I have no fucking clue. But when I was watching, and if you're interested and you have Netflix, uh, this is an episode that is on Killer Woman with Piers Morgan. Oh, I have that in my list. I've never watched any of them. She is the third episode. You'll see her lovely neck tat that she got in prison, her prison neck tat. Well, if you have the hiccups, you have to like put more, like you have to peacock your throat. So this is where the hiccups are coming Mm -hmm. from. You have to like show people. What was the tattoo? It said... JDD, but oh. she never explained what that meant. I'm going to assume it's initials. Come on. I was expecting it to be like a dragon. No, I'm going to assume it's someone's initials. But I'm like, why, Florida? Why you do that to me again? And my town? My town? Uh. <laughs> uh, so she appeared on television morning shows across the United States in a bid to find a cure for her mere. Uh, for her mysterious affliction. And I remember, I remember her being on like Good Morning America amongst like other shows where she, I can't remember all of them she was on, but she was on quite a few. How long did she have hiccups for? I'm not, I want to say that they gave her some medicine and that helped cure it. The same medicine they gave for Tourette syndrome mm. and that helped cure it. Okay. Um, she was hiccuping up to 50 times a minute, stopped going to school, could only eat soft foods. She had to be medicated to sleep. So they gave her... 50 times a minute? That's a Holy lot. Holy crap. hmm And they showed like some clips from some of the morning shows she was on and things like that. And I don't know. To me, I think that it was probably fabricated for attention. Okay. If you were to ask me, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Uh, but eventually this Tourette's um, medication helped her st- stop hi- hiccuping. That's just a damn awful lot of hiccuping. If you're really hiccuping. Yeah. 50 times a minute. That's a lot. All day. That's aggressive. For a long time. Mm-hmm. Oof. It would probably make me want to kill somebody too. Yeah. 
JDD. JDD. So Jennifer Mee met Shannon Griffith through social media in 2010, so just three years later. On the night of the murder, he thought he was going on a date with Jennifer. She claimed she didn't think it was date a date, uh, that she was just meeting him to sell him some marijuana. But he had told his family he was going on a date, put on cologne, new clothes, etc. before going to meet her. Shannon had moved to St. Petersburg from a small town in Mississippi that had been really hit really hard from Hurricane Katrina. Okay. And he it showed on the show like backgrounds of him, like his football coaches. Like apparently he was just a really good dude. Jennifer told Shannon to meet her at an abandoned house in downtown St. Petersburg so they could conduct the drug transaction. Part of that conversation is said to include a date with Jennifer, but she still denies it. He meets with Jennifer in the front alleyway of the house. She indicated to him the people who would sell him the marijuana were down the alleyway where he is confronted by Lamont Newton and Laron Rayford. They asked him for his money. A struggle ensued where a gun was pulled. And evidence showed a pretty physical struggle that happened, one that appeared to show that Shannon was actually winning the fight. And it was thought that at that point, when the other two were losing the fight, the shots were fired. Shannon was fatally shot four times and left to die in the back of this alley of this abandoned house for $60. My Lord. He had $60 on him. So awful, right? And this poor guy is thinking he's going on a date. Yeah, he thinks he's going on a date, buying some weed. Not a big deal. Um, And his football coach did say that on the show. He said the only way that he would have lost that fight if there was a gun involved because apparently he was a bigger guy and, you know, could handle himself. Jennifer, her boyfriend, Lamont, and Laron all fled the scene and went to an apartment on the other side of the city. They tried to cover their tracks by soaking clothes that had blood spatter on them in bleach and put Shanann's wallet hidden in an air vent. Jennifer claimed she was panicking and she was scared and didn't know what to do or what would happen next. She said that Lamont and Laron told her that she wouldn't be charged because she was the famous hiccup girl. She was only 18. She was young. They were like, you'll be fine. But in Florida, if you commit a robbery and someone dies, everyone involved can and will be charged with murder. Okay. So that might explain why Jennifer didn't mention the robbery in her first police interview. She first told the police that the shooting was part of a love triangle involving Shannon and Laron and like some other girl. And then she later said she lied because she was afraid she would be charged. She said that she did not know they had a gun, that they were going to shoot him, none of it, that she just thought that it was going to be a robbery. Oh my God. Um, but still, even if any of this was true, if she hadn't lured Shannon there that night, he would still be alive. Even though she didn't know he would be killed or didn't pull the trigger, she knew he was going to be, at very least, robbed, harmed in some type of way. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. So she was affiliated. Uh, Jennifer's family claimed that she acted different around her friends, that she was always just trying to fit in with them, and she would have done anything to fit in with her friends. So basically they were like, she just agreed to be part of this robbery because, you know, it was her boyfriend and her boyfriend's friend, and she just basically wouldn't say no, you know, that she just desperately wanted to fit in. Wow. Her lawyer said that she suffered from schizophrenia and Tourette syndrome, and a court-appointed psychiatrist said that her intelligence was below normal. So I don't know if that's true. You know, watching the interview, she didn't appear to have a high education, but I don't want to say that she was unintelligent either. And now they're saying she has Tourette's, but isn't it just 
for her, like medication for her hiccups? Well, I think that they're they're calling the hiccuping like a Tourette's type thing because Tourette's oh. can be like a tick or, you know, an inability okay. to control like outbursts or things like that. So I think they're classifying it as the hiccuping like as like a Tourette's. And her attorney, John Trevina, revealed that she was on medication Thorazine, which is used to treat psychotic disorders to control the hiccuping. Um, but that even then she was still susceptible to bouts of the hiccuping. Both Jennifer's mother and her attorney both believe her earlier fame as the hiccup girl unfairly influenced the court and that her harsh punishment was a result of that, which... Um, She was an accessory in someone's murder. In murder, right. But it was her own words on a phone call to her mom that was recorded in jail that said, I set the whole thing up is what ultimately sealed her fate. Okay, well, there you go. I mean, he probably wouldn't have been in that exact place and time if you hadn't called him If you hadn't lured him there, yes. And yes, she may not have been aware that they had a gun or they were going to shoot him, but she still lured this innocent man there on the false pretense of, I still believe, a date. I think that she's lying there and, you know, buying marijuana. Otherwise, this guy would have never been there. She at least knew he was going to be robbed. And the fact that he was murdered just fucking made this whole thing even worse. Mm -hmm. This poor guy relocated from Hurricane Katrina, a good guy, a stand-up guy, murdered for no reason. $60. Right. And I'm sorry, but she kept acting like she was famous, too. Like, I think there's a far cry from 15 minutes of fame because you were faking hip, potentially right. faking hiccuping as being famous. Well, the other thing is, is what is your plan? So if you think you're so famous and you're having this guy meet up with you and then they're going to rob him, uh, he knows who you are. Right. Like the story doesn't make, make sense. Any sense. Yeah. So in 2013, so they're just gonna they're just gonna beat him up and rob him, and then he's not gonna remember who he was there to meet, right? I or mean, that there's not gonna be any repercussions. It from doesn't. It? it doesn't make sense. It doesn't to me. add up. In 2013, Jennifer was found guilty and sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Her co-defendants, Laron Rayford and Lamont Newton, were also convicted of first-degree murder. Same sentence. Some people say that Jennifer's sentence was too harsh considering she wasn't there, didn't know there was a gun, and didn't pull the trigger. But in my opinion, she's guilty. Yeah. She knew something was going to happen. Either way, you lured somebody innocent there for something bad to happen to them, Mm -hmm. for him to be robbed, beat up, whatever. And then the fact that they brought a gun to this and then the gun was used just... It's the whole thing's just terrible. Mm-hmm. Agreed. So well, she's I mean, so famous. I've never even heard of her. <laughs> right. Well, and I couldn't even remember her name. I do remember, you know, hearing of the hiccup girl because I remember hearing of it and being like, "That's so fake." There's no way that somebody is hiccuping. But if you're attributing it to Tourette's, then yes, I can see how that is possible. But it seemed to me it was more of a an attention thing. Okay. For her. You know, I don't know, especially if she still considers herself famous when I wouldn't really consider that quote-unquote famous. Sure. That's like William Hung from American Idol. Like, she bangs, she bangs. Right. I think he's even more famous than this girl. (laughs) But, I mean, shit, like, what, what would fame have to do anyways, even if she was super famous, of getting away with murder? 
Right. Not a damn thing. (laughs) This poor guy, you know, lost his life because you put him in that situation. Mm -hmm. He was only there because Jennifer Mee put him in that situation. Right. So I'm looking up what her tattoo means. And it's a horrible tattoo. It says that the the basic it's a common prison tattoo and it meant that they've killed someone. Oh, so she's just flaunting it. And also in this article it's saying she can't wait until she, uh, she gets a chance to become free, which I don't see how that's happening. Well, especially if she got life. I mean, maybe there's I guess a chance for parole. She got but, life without the possibility of parole. Okay, that's what, okay. Yeah. Unless for some reason her case is retried. But when I was watching this show, basically it was her own admission from the phone conversation that she had with her mother while she was in jail, where she was like, I set the whole thing up. She sure. convicted herself right there. Yeah. And that phone conversation was so strange to me with her mom because she was like, I'm in jail. And she was in Pinellas County Jail which I know exactly where that's at. Cause I've oh, yeah, had... I drove through there when we went recently. Yeah, I know exactly where that's at because I've had to go get someone out of jail before there. <laughs> Save that for a different episode. <laughs> the mom was like, she called her mom and she was like, I'm in jail. And she's like, what are you in jail for, Jennifer? And she was like, first degree murder. And the mom was like, well, why? Like, for how for that? You know, like, it was a very, like, <laughs> the conversation was weird to me. Like, if that was somebody I would knew, I'd be like, what the fuck? I'm like, I'd be like, what? Right. How? Why? Like, right. what happened? And she was like, and how that happened, Jennifer? And it was just like so odd to me. And she was like, what'd you do? You know, like the whole conversation was just, it was very bizarre to me. Either way, in my opinion, she's guilty. That man would have never been in that situation had she not put him there, knowing something bad was going to happen to him. Mm-hmm. Regardless of whether she knew they had a gun or not, she knew something she bad learned, was going to happen. She learned him there. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then and then to hear that, that, that means her ugly ass neck tat, prison neck tat means that you killed somebody? Like, that's disgusting. She's right where she belongs. Yeah. Sad but true. Yeah. There's the story of the hiccup girl. Well, I'm very proud of you for doing your homework and bringing us in that story. You're welcome. Poor guy. The whole killer women episode is, or episodes, I found very interesting. So if you haven't watched it, for sure watch it. It's a good one. Well, I was having kind of a crap day yesterday, so I just sat down and watched some Forensic Files, ate some chocolate, Mm. felt better about myself. Sounds like my kind of evening. So my story takes place On September 2nd, 1999, when a family was moving from suburban New York and they were moving to Jericho, New York. And while they were moving, they placed many odds and ends on the curb of their home for trash pickup. One of these items was a 55-gallon steel drum that had been in a crawl space. The garbage men did not take it, but they left behind a note that said the barrel is too heavy for them to pick up and they needed to call the sanitation department to schedule a special pickup for that barrel. Cohen, who owned the house at that point, had noted that the steel barrel had been left in the home by the previous owner and had been there since he moved in nine years earlier. Because the drum was so heavy to pick up due to the weight, he decided he was going to open it up to remove whatever was inside. So he gets a crowbar, and once he lifted the lid, a horrid stench was released. Oh, no. He saw inside what looked like a woman's shoe and a human hand. Ugh. So he calls the police. Once the police got there, they took the drum and sent it to the morgue for processing and testing of the contents inside. 
Inside was the mummified remains of a young woman, along with a green plastic flower stem, plastic pellets, and a purse. And there was also this like brownish greenish liquid that was inside of this drum. Ugh, can you imagine that being your job? Um, can you imagine owning a home for nine years and there's a dead woman in a drum in your home? No. No. I'm sorry. When I was like watching this, I was like, I think about that stuff all the time because we have an attic in our our home we've never gone into. Like, who knows what's up there? Maddie thinks I'm being paranoid, but I mean, I've never been in our attic, and your house is older too. Yeah. Oh my god, who knows what's in there? Oh, <laughs> right. Get your crowbar. And the guy who owned our house before us was a woodworker. Mm. Could be all kinds of hidden things. And then you have the neighbor who's giving you random meat. Mm-hmm. Uh-oh. Any any word from him lately? No. He has a lot of parties, though. No. Mm-hmm. Y'all aren't invited? No. It's because you didn't eat the meat. We didn't eat the <laughs> The liquid had destroyed almost everything that was inside of the purse, so there was an ID, an ID, but they were able to find some papers and an address book. But the liquid had pretty much destroyed the writing, so they went and took it to a lab for forensic testing. The paper was encrusted in a brown-yellow slime, so they had to dry out the papers, and after a few days of them drying out, then they decided to start testing them. They used infrared testing to see writing, which... If you get a ch- I don't know what episode one this is, but it was pretty cool to see these blank sheets of paper come to life from yeah, that's the, crazy. the lighting and everything that they used. I thought that was cool. You know how they say, well, I learned it in the office. I don't know if this is true, but you can use urine to write like imaginary ink. Oh. And I think you need fire in order to see it or light or whatever. Well, let's test it out. I'll pee in a cup, get a paintbrush and write you a letter. Okay. Yeah, write me a letter. It better be a love letter. Oh, it will be for sure. And then you can light it on fire and read it. (laughs) Light it on fire. Or maybe it's just warmth. I don't know. Something. Whatever. Uh. It's probably fake. I don't know. (laughs) They were able to determine that there was a contract of sorts within the paperwork. And because of the lighting they used, they could tell that one of the papers had been added at a later date to the contract. The testing also showed imprinting from writing, which... I thought that was so freaking cool to see. Yeah. And also using light from behind the letters could show the words that were written under whiteout. That's a good trick to know, right? Yeah. Unfortunately, the liquid had removed the ink from the pages, but because of the lighting that was used, they were able to start to see some names and addresses from the address book. But when investigators started contacting these names and numbers, it came up dead because it had been about 30 years. Oh my gosh. On this address book. They were able to determine that the cause of death was blunt force trauma to her head. There were multiple fracture wounds on her head, several lacerations on her back and head, and the skull had been broken in a few areas, and there was also some blood staining at those sites, which meant that she was alive when she got those injuries. Mm. They determined that she was either white or Hispanic, between the ages of 20 to 30 years old, about 5 feet tall, and she had some unusual dental work, which meant it was work that hadn't been done within the United States. While radiographing the body, they were able to determine that there was a 17-inch fetus, almost a full-term baby boy. Oh, no. They recovered some jewelry from her body. There was two rings and a locket that was inscribed to Patrice, love Uncle Phil. 
On the barrel were coded numbers, and the police were able to determine that that led to a chemical plant in Linden, New Jersey. There, they were able to find out that the drum was made in 1965. At the chemical company, the investigators discussed the liquid that was found inside the barrel, and they identified it as a dye that was used to color plastic leaves and stems, but it hadn't been made since 1971. The pellets that were inside the drum were actually what they used to make the flowers and leaves. It's like plastic of some sort. Yep. Okay. Investigators start the interviewing process and they find that the owner before Cohen told police that the drum had been there since before he moved in and it never occurred to him to open the drum because of the chemical codes on the outside of the drum. So not only was Cohen's family living there for nine years, there was another family that was living there with this dead woman in this steel drum. So the investigators start looking at who was the owner during the 60s. And the owner at that time was named Howard Elkins. Currently, he was retired and living in Boca Raton. Florida. Or is it Boca Raton? Boca Raton? Boca Raton, I Raton. believe. They were able to determine that he had previously worked for a plastics company, mm. which they thought was the connection because they found those plastic leaves and pellets inside of the drum. Turns out Howard was part owner in the Melrose Plastic Company in Manhattan where they made plastic plants and trees. Sounds like he's the guy. <laughs> yes. Newspapers started running stories about the woman in the drum, and an anonymous phone call came in. The man told investigators about the drum, the chemicals that were used, and that also helped detectives put the puzzle, puzzle pieces together. The man said he did not know the identity of the woman in the barrel, but said he knew Howard was having an affair in the 60s with a Hispanic woman who worked for him in the plastic factory. Mm. police go to Boca Raton and they see Howard and he's super uncooperative. They interviewed him in his home and he denied use of the barrels, the chemicals, the pellets. He said he didn't know what any of that stuff was used for, which already makes okay. you look guilty, yeah. right? It was only just your company. Right. You, or, you, but you don't know what you have. Company. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So nothing but lies there. Then they asked about the affair, and he said he had an affair, but he couldn't remember her name, and he also couldn't describe her, and just kept saying he couldn't remember. Yeah, okay. Detectives asked to swab his mouth, and he was like, hell to the no, <laughs> obviously. And police said that they wanted to determine if he was the father of the fetus. During the interview, Howard's phone rings. It was his wife calling, and he told the police that he they needed to leave because he wanted to speak with his wife privately. Police leave. But before they left, they told Howard that they were going to get a court order and going to determine that he was in fact the baby's father and then he'd be arrested for murder. He nodded and asked them to leave. Howard soon after left his house, went to Walmart, and he bought a shotgun and bullets. Mm. At a neighbor's house, Howard was found in the garage in the backseat of an SUV with a shotgun between his legs. He had shot himself in the head, dead at 70, left no note. Dang. Detectives took a sample of his blood, tested it for paternity. The tissue from the fetus was unfortunately pretty badly degraded after 30 years, but they were able to do an analysis and determine that Howard was a match by like 99.93%. So he was the father. Yeah. So who was the murdered woman? Inside the address book, they were able to find the name Mr. Elkins with his phone number and also his residency number of it's like an alien ship residency number, something like that was in there. So one other name, so... His name is in her address book. 
basically. Yeah. So there was another name that they were able to find that the phone number and address was still accurate, and it was a woman named Kathy Andrade. She was able to determine that the deceased woman was Reina Angelica Mariquin, and she was from El Salvador. Kathy was a teacher at a high school where Reina attended. She had come to the U.S. in 1966, and she lived in a Catholic home for women while going to that high school, and the high school was for fashion industries. Reina was working at the plastic factory. Kathy said she loved New York. She wanted a family and to become an American citizen. But Raina had told Kathy that she was pregnant, but didn't reveal who the father was. And Kathy was like, well, do you think this guy is going to marry you? And she said, yeah, someday he eventually will. Raina did tell Kathy that her boyfriend was married and had three other children. And then over time, Raina, obviously during her pregnancy, started thinking like, this guy isn't going to leave his wife for me. So Raina called Howard's house Howard's wife answered and Raina came clean to Howard and just said that she was pregnant with Howard's child. Howard calls Raina back and says, I'm going to kill you. I will never forgive you because this was translated back to Kathy or reported back to Kathy. So Kathy knew Raina was supposed to be home later that night and she went to her place and Raina wasn't there. So Kathy was scared. She contacted the police. They asked if she was a relative and she said no, only a friend and that Raina was about to have a baby, but she didn't know enough information about who this guy was. So she wasn't able to provide the police with any more information. So the police think what happened was that Raina was lured to the factory. There, Howard beat her, took her home, placed her into the steel drum and they think that his motive was to fill it up with all of like the plastics material and make it heavy so it would sink in the ocean. So they use like the plastic pellets and all that. Mm-hmm. Well, after he filled it up, it became too heavy to carry to his boat. So he left it in a crawl space and she was left there for 30 years. Oh, man. Police, after finding out that this was Reina, contacted her family in El Salvador and she had been waiting for, the the mom had been waiting for her daughter for 30 years and they said when they told her what had happened, she just collapsed and she was crying and and lost it. So sad. What was crazy about it is she had even said that she had dreams that her daughter was in a barrel. Oh, wow. Reina had left El Salvador because she had found out her husband had a lover who was pregnant with her husband's child. So she left (gasps) and went to New York And here what's crazy is that she was like on the opposite end of that. The last thing that the police noted with their forensic testing was that there was a blank sheet of paper inside of the barrel. And when they went through the testing, they were able to transcribe a message that Raina had written. And it said, don't be mad. I told the truth. Wow. I did not know where this story was going to go. Like I literally just picked an episode to watch. I'm like, oh, somebody found in a steel drum. Interesting. But it was just kind of weird. The thought of living in a house, first of all, with a a dead woman. How did... And I'm like... (laughs) In my mind, I'm like, how did this house go through an inspection and everything else with this? Right. Especially <laughs> if there's chemical symbols on it. Wouldn't yeah. like I would be like, what chemicals like what are home in here? inspector would see this in the crawl space and be like, uh, eh, it's fine, sell the house. The only thing I can think of is different times. I mean, this had took to place in ninety two when they actually found I it. I can assure so- you in twenty twenty one with the home inspectors that would never happen now. Well, if I saw a chemical symbols on a barrel that's in my house, I would be worried it was going to do something to my family. 
it was a crazy story, creepy. Well, I'm glad for her family, they finally had some yeah. answers as well, too. You know, mm-hmm. what a coward he was as well. Mm-hmm. What a fucking coward. I mean, not even to like write a letter to his wife, too, even to be like, I'm sorry for what I've done. It's something. Yeah. He knew that the other shoe had dropped and mm-hmm. he was, I mean, Can you imagine living your life always wondering? No. Because in his mind somewhere, he had to always wonder when somebody was going to find that barrel. The only thing I can think of, like, was he thinking that it it was just going to, like, deteriorate over time? Right. But you know somewhere in the back of his head, it was always a thought. And then I was just like, when they, their theory of what happened, right, wouldn't you just, like, pour the pellets out and then take them with you and then go to the boat and then sink it? I mean, luckily that didn't happen because yeah. obviously I probably wouldn't be sharing the story and her family wouldn't have peace. I was just like, he, he was not thinking. No. Mm-mm. Obviously. And he but. knocked her up. Like, yeah. So I thought it was a really interesting story. Yeah, that was a very interesting story. That poor woman. I'm just glad that she can be at peace now and her family too, you yeah. know. Forensic files always does me right. Yeah. <laughs> Well, the killer women with Piers Morgan, that was a that was an interesting one too. I'll have to check that out. So for next week's episode, we will be covering stories that are unbelievable but true. Which I'm excited for this one. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to hear something where you're like, well, I guess like the the guy saying he didn't murder his girlfriend and she just sucked on his dick and choked on it and that's how she died that's a pretty unbelievable and true story (laughs) unbelievable like what well partially true right right something else happened there i'm still for sure to that i thought of the movie the sweetest thing have you seen that with cameron diaz it's been so long but you're too big to fit in here yes If you watch that movie, you have to get the unrated version. It's a million times better. But Selma Blair is giving a guy a blowjob and he has a cock ring and it, or piercing, and it gets stuck on her uvula. Oh. And then she just had to sing. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. And it relaxed her throat and all was well. (laughs) That's such a good, like, female movie. Yeah, it is. It's been so long. I still remember that song from there, though. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's been so long. And the glory hole scene. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. You know what? That's one I'll have to watch again. But make sure it's unrated because I've watched the one that they put on TV. It's not near It cuts good. out all of the really dirty, funny parts. Mm. But so if you have any stories like that, you can send them into blondemomentspodcast at gmail.com. Or you can slide in our DMs. I had to try to say that as best like my voice is starting to crack again. <laughs> Crackle. Ribbit. Crackle lacking. Well, I guess I started the episode with a frog in my throat should only be appropriate. I end it. Exactly. With a frog in my throat. Hello, my lady. Hello, One my that's da- not going to choke me to death. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Here's this week's blonde joke for you. Why couldn't the blonde write the number 11? Why couldn't she write the number 11? Correct. Oh, shit. I don't know. She couldn't figure out which number came first. <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's the one. <laughs>